following is a presentation of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. Well, before we open the Bible this morning, I'd like to begin by asking you to open your imaginations a little bit. I want you to think about something specific, which I I hope will kind of set the stage for what we will talk about. I want you to think back and recall a time in your life when you had to say goodbye to someone you loved. Um, Fairly open-ended, this could be like saying goodbye for a while, sending a kid off to college, or saying goodbye to a friend at summer camp until next year. Um, It could be saying goodbye for an indefinite amount of time, as when somebody you love moves to another country and you don't know when or even if you'll see them again. Or it could be the final goodbye that unfortunately we all have to say, and that sometimes we have to say many times to those we love uh, when they are nearing death. Do you have a particular goodbye in mind? As you recall this goodbye, as you recall this leaving, you, you may experience a range of emotions. There might be sadness. There might be a deeper love. There might be regret. There might be relief. There might be anxiety or fear. Saying goodbye is a complicated thing. It's not just one feeling. It's lots of feelings. Remember in Romeo Romeo and Juliet, what Juliet said about saying goodbye, parting is such sweet sorrow that I shall say goodnight till tomorrow. (laughs) This idea that saying goodbye is a very painful thing, but but you almost want to draw it out (laughs) and, and make the experience last. Because the pain of leaving is caused by the love that you have very often. And so that pain tends to intensify the love, and the love intensifies the pain, and there's this circuitous feeling that you have. Today's story from the Gospel of John is an occasion where Jesus is preparing his disciples for the day when he will leave them. He's, he's saying uh, kind of a preemptive goodbye in a way. It's one of those confusing in-between goodbyes where it's not the last time that you'll be together with the person but you think it might be, maybe probably will be the last time you have a chance to say the things that you need to say. Have you ever had one of these goodbyes where you're saying goodbye and it's not quite time to say goodbye, but you have to say the things now because you don't know if you'll get a chance to say it again. So we return again today to the Gospel of John. Uh, We have been working our way through the Gospel of John little bits at a time, maybe three, four, five weeks at a time for years now. (laughs) And I'm not sure when we will finish, Um, but it has been a really uh, great experience for us to to kind of do this in pieces. We will do John for a little while, and then we'll turn our attention to other things for a period of months, and then we'll go back to John. We always come back to John. And uh, I'm not sure what we'll do whenever we finish the book, um, but maybe by that time I'll be retired and I won't have to worry about it. <laughs> so the last time we, we were in John would have been February, February 26th. I believe I was on vacation. 
I was on my way to Florida at that time. Sorry. Um, and Pastor Barb Bushart from Community of the Savior was here. She preached on the promise of the Holy Spirit, the advocate. Uh, and she did a great, great job with that sermon. Heard wonderful things about it. And so we're going to pick it up, and it's been this many months, however long it's been between February 26th and June 18th. It's been, been quite a while. So I want to ask you to turn to your Bibles to John 14, and we're going to start in verse 27. Now, if you're using the red Bibles, which are all throughout the building, this would be on page 877. And I want you now to recall again the emotion that you felt with the goodbye, with the leaving, with the parting that you thought of a moment ago. And with that emotion still present in your spirit, I want you to hear the first words that Jesus says in today's passage, right here in verse 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Maybe it would be good to just sit with those words for a bit. Hear Jesus speaking to his disciples and hear him speaking to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Now, listen for that confused jumble of emotions in this passage as I continue to read through to the end of chapter 14. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away, and I'm coming to you. If you loved me, you would rejoice that I'm going to the Father, because the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you this before it occurs, so that when it does occur, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, For the ruler of this world is coming. He has no power over me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us be on our way. So, here's an observation that I think is worth making as we look at this passage. Just four or five verses, right? A good deal of what we just read in these short verses, um, it actually is repeating things that, or, or, ref, or at least referring to things that Jesus has already said previously in the Gospel of John. For example, he repeats, do not let your hearts be troubled. When he said that, he had already said it earlier. You may remember that from John fourteen one, Or maybe you don't remember it because it was February 19th. <laughs> when we encountered that particular verse. Remember, that was the sermon that we, uh, we beamed in from our all-church retreat at Camp Mission Meadows. Some of you were out there with us, and some of you were in the room, and my, uh, my disembodied head was preaching to you from afar. <laughs> he says things like, I have told you this before it occurs. And if you haven't read anything earlier in the chapter, you might not know what he's talking about. The this there is not just his leaving, it's, it's the, the gift of the Holy Spirit. He's saying, I told you this now so that when the Holy Spirit comes, you will believe. You'll think back on this and remember and you'll believe. And again, you may or may not remember that promise from Barb's sermon on February 26th. 
And I would say that as students of Scripture, if we want to understand a little bit better what's happening in this exchange between Jesus and his disciples, we have to go back at least as far as the the moment when Jesus washes the disciples' feet, or uh, in artisan time, July 24th, 2016. (laughs) That's when we had a message on that passage, which I also didn't preach. That was Pastor Torrance Jones. Everything in between that event, the foot washing, um, which happened as they were coming in, they're on the outskirts of the city, they'd stopped there in this room uh, in preparation for going into the city for the Passover celebration. Everything between that, the foot washing, and the end of what Jesus says to his disciples, rise, let us be on our way, that's all one event. It all takes place in the same room at the same time. Over the course of one evening spent together, maybe an hour or two. And so we're stretching back to, to almost a whole year ago to today and trying to kind of understand a little piece of this that really requires us to know all of what has come before if we want to get it in, in any kind of context. So again, you may not remember that in that same conversation, Jesus foretold his betrayal by Judas. Or you may not remember that he gave them a so-called new commandment that they would love one another. Or you may not remember that he predicted that Peter would betray or would, would deny him three times before the sun rose. So all this to say, I love the way we have gone through the Gospel of John together. It's really beneficial for us. It's very it's a great way to look at the scriptures to do little pieces at, the t- at a time and dig in deep onto them and, and really find what they have to say. I think when you study the scripture in short passages like that, you can draw out so much that you might otherwise miss because you can really spend some time with it. But the drawback is that it's easy to lose the big picture of what's going on. And uh, we don't want to be the type of students of scripture who read a verse and sort of surgically remove it from everything around it and uh, carried around with us as if it were some um, sterilized thing in a vacuum, right? So here's, um, here's what we're going to do. I, I suspect that we'll be in the Gospel of John in this little setting for four or five weeks, at least. We may stretch it through the summer. I'm, I haven't quite decided yet. If you have an opinion about that, feel free to share it with me, and I may take it under advisement. But here's what I'd like to encourage you to do. I know we're going to be here for at least four or five weeks. So I would like to ask all of you, uh, in your own time reading the Scriptures, to go back to the beginning of the Gospel of John. John 1, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Remember that? The prologue to John, which um, we preached on, uh, who knows when? I didn't look that one up. I want you to go back to John 1, and I want you to read the first 14 chapters of John. That will get you current to where we finish up today. Uh, and in that way, um, those of you who haven't been around Artisan long um, will kind of catch up with the rest of us, who've, who do have some institutional memory of this at least, uh, and the rest of us who've, who have been here all along but have, let's be honest, completely forgotten everything, um, we'll have a chance to, to kind of all get on the same page together. That's my request to you. Please read John 1 through 14 uh, over the next few weeks as we continue to study this book. Um, and now, if you don't have a Bible, 
uh, please do take one of these red Bibles home with you. We have lots of them, and it turns out they are printing more, and so we'll buy more when we run out. Um, and if you don't have a Bible, I would love for you to take one with you, but there's also, of course, lots of online tools and apps and things like that. You can find those scriptures in a lot of places. Um, okay, so that's a little bit more stage setting than I typically like to do in a sermon, but it's been so long since we looked at this book together um, that I wanted to make sure we took a moment to reorient ourselves. So in the time that I have left, I want to spend just a couple of minutes dwelling in the tension that is present in these words of Jesus. Many times we don't want to dwell in tension. We don't like tension. It pulls us one way and the other. It stretches us. And if you, if you spend too much time focusing in on the, the, the pain and the emotional turmoil that is present in this passage, it might make you uncomfortable. Uh, but that's what I want to do. Because the tension doesn't just come from the, um, the emotional jumble I mentioned earlier, the, the sweet sorrow of parting. The tension comes from some of the things that Jesus says that identify what you might call a broader existential angst in the world. The big problems with the way the world is, which affect all of us, then as now. Notice when, he's, uh, when he says he's leaving them with peace. He's careful to say it's not just any peace. And you might have missed this. I, I deliberately did not emphasize the word. But he says, it is my peace. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I'm not giving you the kind of peace that the world can give you, he sort of goes on to say, but a spiritual peace that comes only through the Holy Spirit that I will send to you after I'm gone. Remember, this whole thing is right there in that time when the promise of the Holy Spirit had been made. Are you familiar with the type of peace that the world offers, by the way? Have you consumed some of this peace? The the peace that the world offers is an impermanent peace. It's a conditional peace. It's a peace that's brokered and traded so that it costs money or time. It's a peace that you can only get and keep if you are willing to detach yourself from meaningfully deep relationships because, let's be honest, meaningfully deep relationships are not the greatest way to come to peace. It's a peace that is superficial and tenuous and fleeting. And that's not the kind of peace that Jesus is promising. His peace is deeper. I would would go so far as to say it's frighteningly deep. It's so deep it's scary. Because the peace that Jesus offers comes through his pain and will have to come through their pain. The type of peace that Jesus offers is on the other side of the river of suffering. The type of peace that Jesus offers comes through submission all the way to the point of death, even death on a cross. But as the scriptures tell us elsewhere, his peace transcends all human understanding. His peace is foolishness to the wisdom of the world. His peace is both less and more than you bargained for. 
he's hardly even gotten the, the breath out of his lungs to say the word peace when he tells them this. I'm not going to talk much more with you. And why not? Well, you're not going to like the answer because it's not actually very peaceful. I'm not going to talk much more with you because the ruler of this world is coming. That sounds ominous. He's talking about the Satan, the, the, the accuser, the enemy, the devil. This spiritual attack that he's saying is about to happen is going to prevent him from staying with them. It's going to prevent him from having any more meaningful conversation with them. This is one of those goodbyes that's preemptive because he knows this is the last chance I have to say this to these people who I love and who love me. The ruler of this world is coming, so I'm not going to get to talk to you anymore after tonight. Because I don't know if you're familiar with the rest of this story, but they leave this place and it doesn't go well for quite some time. But then there's, there's a but. He says, he has no power over me. And this is the real paradox. The enemy of this world, the ruler of this world, is in some sense powerful. You don't call people ruler or prince, as he calls them earlier, if they don't have any power. The enemy prowls and steals and kills and destroys. And yet, Jesus says, God's power is greater He had said earlier in chapter 12 that when he was lifted up, that would be the time when the prince of the world would be driven out. (laughs) The enemy of this world has no power over Jesus. The power that the enemy has is driven out by the death and resurrection of Jesus. And I could tell you Embrace the power of that promise today. I do tell you, embrace the power of that promise today. But even as I say the words, I know that it's hard for you to do it because it's hard for me to do it too. If you're having trouble embracing the power of that promise, if you're having trouble seeing that there is a peace that transcends and supersedes and defeats the turmoil caused by our spiritual enemy, if you're having trouble grasping that and accepting that as true, if it doesn't add up or if you're not sure you're quite ready to have your understanding flipped around like that, you are not alone. Not only do I stand with you some days, most days, but imagine how the disciples felt after this bizarre evening in which he had washed their feet, which is not only kind of gross, but very awkward and flips around their expectations about who's important and who's not and is sort of like messing with their heads. He's predicted that Judas would betray him and Peter would deny him, which is unthinkable and once again sort of awkward. He's promised them the Holy Spirit, which I don't even know if they had any idea what that meant. 
And now he's saying, don't worry, peace be with you. I'm going away because the ruler of the world is coming. I'm going to submit to what the ruler of the world wants to do in the world, is what I hear implicit in that statement. But he has no power over me. And right in the middle of all that emotional turmoil, all of that spiritual confusion, and all of that existential angst, he says, rise, let us be on our way. But Jesus, don't you... Wouldn't you like to explain that a little bit more before we go? No, it's time for Passover. Let's go. But Jesus... I don't understand. You haven't said enough to reassure me. Let's go. Let us be on our way. Let's get started. It's almost as if the call to follow Jesus and the moment of truth in which you decide whether or not to go with Him comes before you get all the reward and the promise and the peace that you are hearing about. Wouldn't that be terrible? That's the way it is. If there's too much turmoil, too much angst, too much confusion, too few answered questions, in the moment of truth, when you sense the call of Jesus saying, get up and let's go, well, congratulations, you have reached the point that every convert at one time or another has reached. You've encountered that moment. I was always confused in school why they called the graduation ceremony the commencement. Because when you're in school, you're thinking, oh man, I cannot wait to get up there and fling that tassel to the other side and grab that diploma and make my rude gesture and get out of here. <laughs> right? You're thinking, it'll finally be over. And they're calling it a commencement? <laughs> and you think, what could possibly start that would be worse and more confusing than this? <laughs> oh, my word. And then you get to college, if you go to college, <laughs> and you think, oh, man, I guess I have to do that one more time. <laughs> I had a, a college professor who said, uh, you, think, you all think that you're really busy right now, but you have no idea what it, what it feels like to be busy. You're going to be so much busier when you graduate. And then you think you're going to be busy for a while, and then you're going to do this thing or that thing. You're going to take this next step in life, whether it's family or a career or whatever, and you're going to be even busier. And guess what, my friends? It just doesn't get less busy. <laughs> and I remember sitting in the chairs like thinking he has to be lying. I couldn't possibly be more busy than I am right now. But that, that graduation is, is the end of one thing, but it is the beginning of something so much bigger, and that's what this is like when you follow Jesus. A lot of us, I think, approach faith, approach Jesus thinking, I need relief from whatever whatever is in my past and my present. I want to step into a future that is certain and comfortable. And that is not what Jesus offers at all. He's fairly clear about that when he says, take up your cross if you want to follow me. But yet we still, we still want to imagine that there's some other side of this where things are just simple and easy. 
where the confusion has melted away and everything is crystal clear. And that the life of faith should be one where we never have any doubts again because, praise God, hallelujah, He has saved me. And yes, praise God, hallelujah, He has saved me. But it turns out that's not a get-out-of-doubt-free card. That's not an understand-everything-magically experience. So if you are sitting there right now in the midst of an incredible spiritual cloud, in a profound confusion, whether, you, uh, whether you're not a person of faith and you're, you're getting this, this weird tingly feeling, like, oh no, <laughs> I didn't think I was going to be one of those people, or whether you are one of those people and you for some reason thought that you shouldn't have to deal with this anymore. If you're sitting there in that cloud, in that confusion, I don't have a solution for you. There is no cure for what you are feeling right now. But I do have the words to reassure you that it's not abnormal, (laughs) that you are not alone, and that this condition, though it may be chronic, is not terminal. Your doubt, your confusion, does not have to kill your faith or your capacity for it. It'll mess up a lot of other stuff. But you can get through with some help from your community of faith, which is why it's important that you don't try to strike out on this road by yourself. Jesus said to his disciples in that room, and I believe says to all of us today, Let's get going. So, rise. If you are able, will you stand? And perhaps you might make some other physical gesture that would seem appropriate to you, indicating that you have this glimmer of understanding that you have this piece of hope, that you have this little slice of intention to go where Jesus is about to lead you. And let's pray. Lord Jesus, we hear your call. We are confused and frightened. Some days we feel like the disciples after you were gone, wondering if you were ever there in the first place. Some days we feel the confidence of Peter and we're not aware of the fact that we are only moments away from denying you again. Sometimes we don't want to leave the comfort of the room where we've been sitting with you and our friends and yet you call us. You lead us out and say, let's be on our way. We want to follow you today and always, despite the times when we are not able to do it well in our own eyes, despite the times when we're held back by our fears and inhibitions and our doubts. Let us hear your voice and answer and act in the small ways that we can.
today and always. We pray these things in your name, trusting in you that you are alive and real and leading us out. Amen. Now, as the band comes and leads us in a couple more songs, I invite you to move out from your space, away from your seat, toward the body of Christ. We celebrate communion at Artisan every week. It's an open table, meaning that you don't have to be a member of our church to partake. You simply have to be following Jesus in this place on this day. Take a piece of the bread, remembering his body, which was broken. Dip it in the wine or the juice, representing the blood, which is shed for the forgiveness of sins. And take it into your own body. You receive Christ's body into yours. May it be for you the real body and blood of the Savior. May it be for you food for your hungry souls. May it be for you an act of communion, of unity with each other, strengthening you for what comes next. I'll remind you that we'll have a member of the prayer team at the back of the room and that your children's classes are ending now and you can go and get them and have them take communion if you'd like or go get them right after you take communion either way. Let's continue to worship God together. Our table is open. Come if you will. Amen. For more information, visit us at artisanchurch.com.